0: Hello, it's 16th of June, 2019, and this is episode 105 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis, and commentary, with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. And how has your week been, Rachel,
1: although I'm guessing it hasn't been too Star Warsy. y
0: <laughs> Yeah, it hasn't been epically Star Wars-y, because I've been in Budapest for the last week um, which was amazing and it was a wonderful holiday Um, but there were elements of Star Wars which people will be happy to hear about I'm sure because when I was in Hungary I made a point of looking out for Star Wars stuff wherever possible so I found a Hungarian magazine that that had an article about the trailer for The Rise of Skywalker, very important Um, and even more important I found the Hungarian Blu-ray still book of The Last Jedi which I bought as a treat to myself um, because it was ridiculously cheap it's a great place to go to for cheap stuff so I paid like three thousand um, which is like eight pounds for the steel book I was so freaking psyched and yeah one of the first things I did when I got home was to play the blu-ray and just like skip through to the roller scenes so I could watch them in Hungarian <laughs> and. It's pretty A-class stuff. It's really good. They genuinely did a really good job of the dub. So on the UK release, they only have um, Hindi, I think, as the alternate language. And it's Mm -hmm. not the greatest dub. Um, uh, Whereas, yeah, the Romanian and Hungarian dubs, they sound very pleasing to my ears. So, yeah, satisfied.
1: Very good. Happy birthday, by the way. Thank you very
0: much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah, I remember the... um, the japanese dub especially for kylo was really great on the force awakens yeah. but i haven't really seen any others
0: yeah it's the sort of thing where i'd love to like rip it and put up some clips you know because i know it's like a niche thing to listen to dubbed versions that are in oh a language. people
1: do though because it adds a layer of context that's like slightly different yeah
0: no exactly and it's interesting so even though i can't understand hungarian you can understand the intonation Exactly, And you get some sense of the intent behind the line delivery from the actors. And mm. yeah, I find that really, really interesting to see how it's done differently in different countries. Um, so yeah, if I can get around my tech novice ways and actually figure out how to record it, I will and try and make it shareable for people. So that'd be nice. How about you, Kirsty? Have you done much stallsy stuff?
1: Um, Just kind of reading Master and Apprentice, although I'm still very early on in it okay, I'm enjoying it though good
0: I'm glad um, yeah it's
1: really interesting to read Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan's internal monologues as they try and navigate that relationship yeah and it really hit me that Obi-Wan is so young you mm. know we've, we've never seen him that young even in The Phantom Menace yeah you think I mean Ewan McGregor looks like a baby
0: <laughs> but yeah no he does he's super fresh faced he's literally a child in Master and Apprentice which <laughs> yeah. is I think creepy. he's
1: 17 yeah um, yeah. So, having just listened to like the Dooku Jedi Lost, um, it's really fascinating to see Qui Gon at this different part of his life. Yeah, where yeah, it's it's very different. But I don't know. We're having a bit of a Qui Gonessence.
0: Yeah. No, they make a really, really good double bill. Have you got to any of the parts of Master and Apprentice where you get the flashbacks to Qui Gon as a Padawan?
1: No, I'm honestly super early stages. Right, sure. Like I, ne- I need to get on it this week so that we have time to discuss it next week. Yeah. But...
0: No, that's fine. You have yeah. fun ahead because there's lots of twists <laughs> and turns. So yeah, that'd be good. Um, right, okay, let's move into the news section. So the first thing to discuss is that the next star celebration has been announced. So we already knew it was going to be in Anaheim. Um, but yeah, now we have the dates when the Star Wars Celebration will take place. So it will be from August twenty seventh to the first of August, and the tickets will go on sale on Friday twenty first of June. So that's real soon, guys. So yeah, well, shit's getting real. Yeah,
1: it's it's twenty twenty, so not till next August. Yes, but tickets go on sale this week, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. So. Hopefully people have the money available if they want to go. Or <laughs> well, they're putting on the credit cards either way. Um, very exciting. I think it's probably safe to say that neither of us will be attending this one. Yeah.
0: Sad times um, because I'm sure well, there'll be great yeah, stuff. But... but like, you've got to limit these things. It gets so expensive. And it does. logistically, it's just a challenge to get to America every year. So I've been to America mm-hmm. for two years in a row now. And it's a big world. <laughs> you want to see other parts of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, you never know, they might do one in Europe again soon. Yeah, um, that'd be great. Yeah, but, um, yeah, it makes sense to have it there, like we said before. Obviously, they're hoping that people will go to Galaxy's Edge, and I'm sure lots of people will. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of surprised that they're doing Anaheim in August, because that's going to be hot. Yeah. But I guess they'll have <laughs> AC everywhere, so... yeah.
0: I hope it's really good air conditioning because unless it's like top-notch <laughs> air conditioning when you have thousands upon thousands of people packed into a space, each of those bodies is generating a lot of heat. So that's a lot for an AC system to combat. So I'm sure this is what mm. people come to the podcast for for discussions of air conditioning. <laughs> but yeah. I, I've just been on holiday in a country where it's 37 <laughs> degrees Celsius, which is insane for me. It's just too much. So yeah, I understand the... Magnitude of having good air conditioning basically is very important.
1: Yeah, and most people will just be kind of spending most of their time inside the convention center, or I guess either out at Disneyland, whatever. Yeah, you're at Disneyland, you're not worried about the weather. But um yeah, I think this celebration is going to be really interesting because presumably, after the rise of Skywalker's release, they kind of have the freedom to talk about the sequel trilogy. You know. Yeah freely like they, they can actually tell us like what the intent was behind things and mm. um, there's been so much mystery around certain aspects of it Um there's been all sorts of allusions as to how like it was con- originally conceived in these ways by George Lucas especially the stuff surrounding Luke um, and why he'd exiled himself but I think I'd like to think that once it's all out there they can really go to town on talking about how those things came to be and how they developed and where they wanted the central relationships to go from the very beginning and what they wanted the central themes of the story to be.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it'd kind of be nice to get that authorial intent so clearly laid out because for obvious reasons, they've had to be quite mysterious as the trilogy is coming out. Yeah. And presumably they'll get they'll get, well, uh, I don't know if they'll announce stuff earlier than that, but you know we've got all of this other stuff coming around the corner with Ryan Johnson's trilogy and the Benny and Weiss trilogy. Mm.
0: That presumably there'll be stuff related to those, yeah. Um, I presume they'll be using it as a platform to start getting people hyped for lots of things. So it will still be yeah. very early days, even for the Benny and Weiss movies, which are obviously dated now. Um, because I don't think those films will have even begun shooting by the time the celebration takes place. But they should be well into pre-production. So I'd imagine they'd have at least something to share with people. You know, just give them some vague sense. Even if it's just, this is the general setting we're going to explore. Here's some concept art. Here's a sense of the themes we want this trilogy to express. Um, That sort of stuff. Um, So yeah, like I think there's going to be lots of really exciting coverage. Um, I think you make a really good point about there being an opportunity for... Some real digging deep into the sequel trilogy. I really hope they do that because, oh, like, as much as I love the commentaries and stuff of people like JJ and Ryan, you can tell at certain points they just get to certain moments and they're just dancing around things and getting like, ha, ah, ah, ha, because they know that they can talk in detail about what was going on at particular moments because they want to keep the curtain between the viewer and the movie, you know, to some extent to keep surprises back and to avoid giving the game away. Um, and, yeah, just to have, like, frank, fully open conversations about the storytelling choices and the thematic choices, that would be so refreshing and exciting. And, yeah, you, I think you and I will be very heavily reliant on YouTube coverage, Kirsty,
1: for this. Oh, yeah, and that's the thing about Celebration, so many people. You don't have to go to experience it, and in some ways, you can experience more of it at home. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, you can sit back on your couch <laughs> with a drink and some nice, healthy food, <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, like watch to your heart's content and rewatch things. And there's it. Everything happens so quickly when you're actually there in person, and you miss out on so much because you know, logistically, you just can't be in two places at once. Exactly. Yeah. So and
0: queuing, so much queuing. yeah
1: it's lots of fun but um, I think in many ways watching it at home is just as enjoyable so
0: yeah exactly I'm sure in 10 years they'll have like full VR integration and people will be able to go there as holograms or something (laughs) that would be the true dream oh dear (laughs) That also raises lots of freaky possibilities that I won't even go into. Because, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to think about thousands of VR Stars fans trying to crowd onto the Celebration stage itself to be like right up close to J.J. Abrams or whatever. It's like, ooh, it's disturbing. Um, yeah, is there anything else that we think we might see at Celebration
1: 2020? Um, well, I guess the Mandalorian will have had a full season by then, yep. so they'll presumably be ramping up for season two Mm -hmm. um the cassian show might just be coming out yeah
0: i think that will be a big panel for that to be honest because they'll need to push it Mm -hmm. hopefully we'll also get a resistance panel like and that will probably be somewhat dependent on what happens with the show whether it's renewed for a third season obviously i think this i'm safe to say that both of us really want it to be renewed for a third season and i think the outcome of that choice will determine what sort of focus it gets so even if it does end mm-hmm. after two seasons I really think they'd still do some sort of retrospective on it to like wrap it up and thank everyone because there's so much goodwill hopefully. towards that show And
1: yeah. yeah hopefully and if they are kind of wrapping it up hopefully they have something else in the pipeline for a future animated series yep. especially now that the sequel trilogy will be wrapped up that's kind of fair game to go back and fill in the blanks there too exactly exciting times
0: Right, and then the next thing that we want to discuss is that a new LEGO Stars game has been announced and it's particularly exciting. Would you like to explain what it involves, Kirsty?
1: Sure, so it's called The Skywalker Saga. Um, So the idea is that it encompasses all nine movies of The Skywalker Saga, including The Rise of Skywalker, um, which is very exciting for obvious reasons. I love the LEGO games. Um, I know that there was another big Star Wars video game announced at E3. Well, it wasn't announced there, but we got more information about it, um, Fallen Order. But we're not really gamers, so you're probably better off going to a different podcast or reading a different article about that. Yeah. Um, I'll definitely watch the cutscenes and everything when it comes out. Because I, I like following the stories, but I'm terrible at playing... Proper video games like that, mm-hmm. in air quotes. Yeah. I'm much better at things like the Lego one that are more lighthearted and fun and like little side quests and stuff. Yeah. So that's the one that I'm personally more excited about, and I think you feel the same.
0: Yeah. No, like um, I haven't played any of the Lego Stars games or any Lego games, full stop, to be honest. But I've seen the cutscenes from the Force Awakens Lego game, and they're just so utterly delightful that. Yeah, I'm super psyched, basically. like Even if I don't play the game, I still have all the cutscenes to look forward to, and I'm sure they'll be golden. So I think it's been reported mm-hmm. that they're going to have a full voice cast for it again, Kirsty.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think there are any details on exactly who's involved, um, but I'd love it if they brought back Daisy and Adam for the sequel trilogy ones. That was amazing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I was reading this article from Kotaku, about how it's surprisingly different and impressive and that they're noting that even though they've obviously released the the games previously Mm -hmm. they're all going to be revised it's not going to be just a remake it's going to be a brand new game experience right for each of those saga movies um which is good because obviously the force awakens one didn't come out that long ago we were hoping that there would be one for the last jedi but i guess they, they weren't working on that because they were working on this. Yeah. So so that's good to know. Um, and then it says, the changes include different camber angles, more Lego objects than any other Lego Star Wars game, different types of combat, including force moves, and being able to jump between different locations and planets of the various Star Wars movies so that you can like change from one side quest to another one without having to finish it, which is key for me because... <laughs> I don't know about other people, but I get really frustrated if I can't finish something and I'm like, Oh well I can't move on with this game now. You know, I'm kind of stuck yeah. until I manage to finish this one thing. Yeah. You um, just hop so it's a nice to be planet. able to Yeah, exactly. So that that seems more fun to me.
0: Yeah. No, it seems like it's been designed with that exact thing in mind. It's meant to be fun. It's not meant to be some sort of like test of your awesomeness as a gamer, which I think it's nice. There's a place for games that are all about skill and all about being great at the game, but it's also nice to just have things that are more relaxed and, yeah, just about having a swell time.
1: Mm-hmm. And even just watching the trailer gave me so much joy because you had Kylo making a Vader snowman and Rey catching him and then them having their fight on Starkiller base again. Mm. Just very
0: adorable. Yeah. Oh, fearsome villain making snowmen. <laughs> strikes fear in the hearts of men he does but not right nope not in the hearts of any women i don't think (laughs) okay
1: oh and there was a little quote here this probably goes without saying but it's just nice to include um it means that they'll adapt the forthcoming episode 9 the rise of skywalker but apparently it hasn't been put in the game yet because they haven't been told the plot we know nothing and that's not just a line because you're recording me the demo's movie-select interface depicted a scene from Episode Nine's trailer. So I, I don't know what that was. Right. But um, basically, they're going to be working on that very quickly, presumably after December, because they don't know anything that happens just like us.
0: Yeah, it looks like this game is going to come out in 2020, although there isn't a specific date yet. So I'd presume if they delay it for like later in 2020, that will allow them enough time to develop the story content for the rise of skywalker because yeah based on the scope of this game as they're describing it i really don't think we're going to see this thing until well after rise of skywalker has come out in cinemas because yeah if they're going to fully reflect the story of all of the films then it's not like they're going to release it as like spoilers
1: Mm mm-hmm yeah, and you'd think that with the Rise of Skywalker being the last movie, they're gonna to want to round it off in style, not just like quickly tack it on to
0: the end. Yeah.
1: So they'll they'll want to do it justice. Exactly. Hopefully they have time to do that.
0: Okay, cool. So then the next story that we have is that the editor of The Force Awakens and the Rise of Skywalker, Mary Ann Brandon, has given a talk at the University of California um about editing. Um, I think she was there specifically to talk about the Star Trek movies but as part of the conversation her work on Star Wars came up and she shared some nice little anecdotes about working on The Rise of Skywalker. So, yeah. Oh, now Rachel, Mm -hmm. don't you feel like you should credit Nonsuch42 on Reddit for the scoop? (laughs) (laughs) Hmm, yes, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, because that is me. (laughs) Um yeah like it was just something I came across during my mindless twitter scrolling I, I I expect some other fan had come across it before, but I have seen some people credit me as like the source of the thing, which is always weird because I'm never the source of anything. I just talk about stuff well, almost uh,
1: rather more amusingly to be honest like I've seen it um I saw Collider had published an article about it and they thought they credited The Express for supposedly sitting down with Mary Ann Brandon <laughs> and interviewing her about this stuff. Oh, no. And then you clicked through to The Express article and it was just a link, obviously, to this Q&A uh, fireside chat. So <laughs> it's kind of funny to see it being credited to the wrong places.
0: Yeah, oh, that's sloppy, yeah. embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that is bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we came across this little interview and there's nothing like revelatory in it. Like it doesn't like give the game away or anything because of course it wouldn't. But she gives some cute anecdotes about working on the movie and some insights into the process. And yeah, I was just wondering if you could read out what she had to say, Kirsty.
1: Uh, sure. I did this thing on cutting the rise of Skywalker and we have a very short schedule. When we did The Force Awakens, we started in May and we finished shooting in October and we were out the following Christmas. For this film, we didn't start until August, so we weren't done until February shooting. So we had four months less time and it's a very big film. So I convinced JJ to let me cut on the set. He was like, no, we never do that. I was like, just try it so I can start turning over shots. So I was on the set the entire time and he got so used to it that he was like, you need to be less than 10 feet away from me at all times. (laughs) So if the camera would move 10 feet, I would move 10 feet. I was everywhere, outside in a water tank. On this film, I got to know the cast really well. I was literally part of the crew. It was really great for me. I watched what they were shooting. I was cutting what they were shooting the day before. I had the director of photography right there to ask questions. If I needed a shot or if JJ decided we needed another shot, we would set up in a corner and get a green screen shot of something. Getting to know the cast and having them be comfortable with me, it was a really great way to understand what they were going through. There was this great moment where I'm sitting there cutting and I'm in the headphones and my assistant is walking towards me and she's laughing. She says, turn around. And I turn around and Kylo Ren in full mask and cape is sitting on an Apple box just over me. And he's like, do you mind if I watch? (laughs) I think there was another part where she said that Adam... um, didn't want to watch the parts where he was on screen. Yes. Which obviously we've heard before. So that's like a common anecdote for him. He doesn't like to watch his own movies. Yeah. Um But yeah, I just really liked this because... Well, for one, I'd miss hearing Mary Ann Brandon talk because I really enjoyed her discussions on editing The Force Awakens. Yeah.
0: And there are parts of that movie that I think are edited incredibly well. Mm, yeah. I love the editing on The Force Awakens, actually. Like, maybe slightly controversial, but I think I might prefer the editing in that film over the last Jedi, but i think both are really well edited but i just think there's something really really tight and snappy about how the force awakens moves
1: Mm -hmm. i think well that's the thing to note actually because he's talking about this being something that jj wasn't initially comfortable with Mm -hmm. but um you know we know that for the last jedi ryan was editing on set himself like he would go home at the end of the day and start editing that day's work yeah because they, they had a shorter time as, as well. Yeah. And of course he got things done in plenty of time, but it's interesting that they've kind of gone with a similar method here, even though it's obviously a different person editing from directing. Mm. Um, Ryan kind of handled more things himself. Yes. But I think it gives a greater opportunity for Marianne to have the context of like what they're shooting, being there in person, talking to the cast about the characters and then going away but still like working really tightly with JJ on that stuff.
0: Yeah. No, I agree. I think it's a really exciting way of working because I love editing. I find it so fascinating and I think it's like, it's easily one of the most important aspects of a film. I believe you can have like the raw material for a great film, but if it's badly edited, then it doesn't mean much because the storytelling is so dependent on the editing being well done. And yeah, I think by having such a deeply close and symbiotic relationship between the director and the editor, I think that can only be a strength, to be honest. And I like how it sounds like it allowed them to be much more spontaneous and like reflexive with things in that, like if they were editing and they realized, oh, we need this extra beat in the scene, they could just go off and do it because they'd only just filmed that material and so they still had everything they needed to make that happen. I'm sure that alone has helped to avoid lots of pickups and that sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it sounds hugely beneficial.
1: Yeah, and I think especially lo- looking at the history of the franchise, that the power of editing is definitely true for the original trilogy, right? Because, mm-hmm. well, I am I was going to say it's very well known, but I wish it was more well known how much of an impact Marshall Lucas had on the success of star wars yeah with her editing skills because lucas was in a really tight spot <laughs> he didn't know what he was doing to a degree mm. um, and he had all of this amazing raw footage but in terms of actually forming it into a cohesive coherent story um Marsha was responsible for a lot of that so yeah the power of an
0: editor exactly it's such a critical role and Yeah, I really look forward to when Marianne gives the inevitable talk about The Rise of Skywalker after that movie's released. So I'm sure it will be an equally fascinating conversation because she just has really great insights and such interesting stuff to say about the particular choices that were made and the thought processes behind how things were put together and that sort of stuff. And yeah, sometimes I think my dream would be to be an editor on movies. It sounds like an amazing Mm job. Hmm. One thing
1: I'm really interested to... I hope that they get to talk about this at some point. How the vision sequence that Rey experiences in The Force Awakens comes into play again. Mm. Um, because I think one of the interviews with Marianne that really stood out, or at least a segment of an interview, was her talking through that vision and how they edited it. Yes. What they chose to leave out. Um, and she talked about some very interesting things that I think were in the novelization, but were ultimately cut for several reasons. And I think she said, like... Oh, they were too revealing when it came to, you know, Kylo and Snoke's relationship. And, oh, he looked too much like a little boy in this. And and what it meant for Rey's story. And then that was right at the beginning before she'd even, you know, she, that was her picking up a saber for the first time. Yeah. And immediately rejecting it. But now we've come all this way. Um, we know the Knights of Ren are going to be in the Rise of Skywalker. So how does that all fit together? And I feel like she'll have some interesting things to say about that. No, 100%.
0: Like, so yeah, let's keep our fingers crossed for the day when that comes and hope for the inevitable YouTube link to be posted with great speed and efficiency. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. And also, what do we think about, like, the mention of, like, Kylo Ren in full costume? First of all, that's a great image (laughs) to just think of this dude, like, dressed as Kylo Ren, sat on a box and just watching the editing process.
1: Oh, I notice you're very careful not to say that it's Adam in the <laughs> Kylo Ren costume.
0: <laughs> you're going to tear me screaming from my theory that it's not always oh, Kylo. It's a very
1: popular theory. I, I get it. I, I'm not one to subscribe to it. I'm just kind of sitting back and seeing what happens. Yeah. But uh, I think it's interesting. Yeah. But I just found it funny.
0: <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. Like, And to be honest, like... I am now leaning more towards yeah. I think it's probably just Ben slash Kylo in that suit. Like I don't think they're gonna make it that convoluted. I, I still think I it's think a definite what's... possibility. Um, but yeah, like it's becoming less feasible in my mind, basically, given some of the stuff that's come out.
1: I I totally understand where the theory is coming from. For people who don't quite realize what we're talking about, um, it's this idea that there's someone else in Kylo's mask and cape. Because yeah. all of the promotional stuff we've seen so far, aside from, like, stuff from leaked posters and, um, like, toy packaging and stuff like that, um, doesn't show Kylo in his mask. We've seen Adam's face throughout, you know, with all the stuff that was at, in the the teaser, in the Vanity Fair coverage, in the behind-the-scenes stuff from Celebration. Um, we haven't seen Adam wearing the mask. So... We've got that little bit in the teaser of the mask being put together again but of course it's not kylo doing that himself so i i totally understand why people consider it a possibility yeah um i'm just wondering you know because we haven't seen him in it i'm like okay does he somehow for whatever reason have the mask back for act three mm. you know
0: yeah which would be quite odd like I'm sure if that did happen, there would be like strong, solid reasons why that happened. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just what the hell is going on in that case? Basically. Well, is it
1: somehow related to facing Palpatine? Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, um, I just think if if we're not seeing that, um, there's there's got to be a reason. And of course, it could be that it's not Adam in there. But um, it could also be that all that stuff's act free, and they don't want to
0: show it yet. Yeah. Exactly. Many, many possibilities.
1: And there's also the possibility that stuff from Vanity Fair doesn't actually show what things will look like in the finished movie. So that duel with Rey and Kylo on what could be the Death Star, what could be the Millennium Falcon, it's in the rain. In the actual movie, he could be masked
0: there. Yeah. Exactly. So
1: we, we, we don't know.
0: Yeah. Because like in the Vanity Fair shoot for The Force Awakens, there's the shot of Kylo in the snow on Starkiller Base. And that is obviously meant to represent a deleted scene where Kylo visits the Millennium Falcon. Um, And for that whole scene, he's in the mask. But in the photo, he's maskless, clearly, because Mm -hmm. Annie Leibovitz prefers to photograph the actors unmasked and to use their faces, which I think we're all pleased about. Um, But yeah, basically, it doesn't prove anything either way, so it can't really be taken as super solid evidence although it's certainly something. (laughs) It's just a question of how much stock to place in it. As an anecdote about Kylo slash Adam, because let's for the sake of argument assume it's Adam, sitting on the apple crate and watching the monitor, I find that so adorable. So I read lots of interviews of actors and it seems to be quite a common thing that a lot of them are just as fascinated by the process of filmmaking. And some of them seem more interested in the technical side than the actual actory side. Which makes sense, because I'm sure they know a great deal about the actuary side and is more refreshing and interesting to learn about something they know nothing about. Because, yeah, I think Marianne in the interview, she made a point of stressing how unusual it is to actually have that deep level of interaction with the actors, because usually it's a very one-sided thing where she gets to know them very, very well by seeing all their footage but they don't know her at all because they're obviously not in the editing suite with her. It's like it's a completely separate thing. So mm-hmm. yeah, it just seems to have completely changed the dynamics in a good way.
1: Yeah, and as you said, like since Ryan was editing The Last Jedi himself, it's probably a bit closer to how they experienced the shooting of that movie. Mm-hmm. And just everything being done as they go along, it would just feel tighter and more efficient. Um, yep. Which, to me, sounds like a good thing.
0: Yep exactly so so it'll be interesting to see how it plays um right okay and then finally in the news section we just want to discuss that we have some news about what's to come from d23 in august um yeah would you care to read out the press release from the d23 website Kirsty? so on
1: friday afternoon 23rd of august at three thirty p.m Um, The highly anticipated streaming service, Disney Plus, will give guests a first look at some of its original content, including Lady and the Tramp, The Mandalorian, High School Musical, The Musical, The Series, which I wonder if that's a typo or if that's actually what it's called, because it's not super catchy. (laughs) I
0: I can only presume that's an ironic joke. That's ridiculous.
1: (laughs) And many more during this star-studded presentation. And then on Saturday, August 24th, Um, The Walt Disney Studios will present a behind-the-scenes look at its blockbuster collection of upcoming films at 10am. Fans will see what's on the drawing board for the acclaimed filmmakers at Walt Disney Animation Studios, Pixar Animation Studios, and get a peek at the exciting slate of live-action projects from Disney to Marvel Studios to Star Wars. So it sounds like we'll get behind-the-scenes stuff from The Rise of Skywalker there.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that would have been easy enough to predict, so it's not that surprising. They've done behind the scenes stuff at D23 before I believe um, but yeah it's still very welcome because some really intriguing and exciting stuff can come out of that behind the scenes footage so I think the D23 footage for The Last Jedi was really our first very solid information that Rey and Kylo would be fighting side by side
1: mm-hmm. yeah I know the popular theory at the time was that they they were just going through their training montages yeah But you could work out from the fact that they were like facing similar enemies in the cut footage and it turned out that they were actually there training together. It was just the way it was edited was trying somewhat to hide that, I guess. I don't know. Seemed obvious to me, but it's kind of fun in hindsight to go back and look at that stuff and think, of course, yeah, that was them fighting the Praetorian Guards together. Yeah. So I wonder if JJ will be a bit more careful or if he even gets... Um, a final say-so on what's released Mm. or if that comes from someone else at Disney. Yeah. Because they want want to hint at things and tease us and get us excited. But yeah, they don't want to give the whole game away. So probably a nice balancing act.
0: Exactly. I'd imagine that JJ will have thoughts and preferences, but I don't think he'll be ultimately responsible. Yeah, that makes
1: sense. I think what's interesting about The Mandalorian is that like, publicly, aside from the people who were lucky enough to be in that panel at Celebration, we haven't had anything official come out. Yeah, that's true. So I wonder if they'll just, like, show stuff that builds on what some people got to already see at Celebration, or if it'll be something entirely different.
0: I would bet on them using D23 to launch the first trailer. And as in, they would show the trailer at D23 and then simultaneously put it on YouTube and start promoting it like I mean, I like would crazy. hope so.
1: Because they're not going to be that far out from the actual release of the series at that point.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. There's not that much time left. So they really need to start doing a push for it to say, look, this exciting thing is coming. You should get really excited for this TV show. You should get really excited for this streaming service. Like, all that needs to happen, basically. Because right now, realistically, the Mandalorian is only going to be on the radar of a very small minority of people.
1: Yeah, and not even just The Mandalorian. I feel like a lot of people out there will have forgotten that Disney Plus is even going to be a thing. Yeah,
0: exactly. They need to be making it at the forefront of people's minds, basically. Mhm.
1: So lots more exciting stuff
0: to come in August, mm-hmm. which we can obsess over. Yep, exactly. Fun times ahead. Right, so we do have a spotlight today, a very impromptu spotlight on Fathers and Star Wars because it struck me this morning, oh yeah, it's Father's Day, we should do something... Um, but before we do that, we want to do something we haven't done in a while, which is just read out a few emails and reviews from listeners. Um, because, yeah, we do love to hear from you guys. And all too often, it just gets left by the wayside. So even though we're very, very grateful, we don't always take the time to express that. So we wanted to make sure what we did this time. So, yep, the first thing we have is an email from Rebecca White. And she said... I'm a new listener to your podcast and wanted to send you an email to say a massive thank you. I'm going through quite a tough time at the moment and discovering your pod has been such a big comfort to me. It makes me so happy to hear your enthusiasm for Star Wars and be part of all the excitement in the lead up to episode nine. And yeah, just such a lovely email. And yeah, we're very happy that you listen and enjoy the show, Rebecca. And yeah, that's helping you at the moment. So yeah, thank you very much.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry to hear you're going through a tough time. Um, but I I find that too, like wh- listening to things helps you take your mind off things and kind of get excited about things to come. Um, so it's it's really nice to get these messages. Like, sorry, <laughs> we, both of us, we don't tend to do this very often because it's kind of this weird thing where you're reading out very nice things that people are saying about you. So it's obviously flattering, but there's something about it that's a bit like, oh, gosh, us, really? Yeah.
0: Um. <laughs> exactly. I think it might be so. quite English as well, not to say it's the exclusive preserve of English people or anything, but like receiving praise, I don't I don't think we're especially good at it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, it's very nice, but you don't really know what to do with it. So thank you, Rebecca. Yes, thank you. Um Yeah, and then reading this, this email kind of prompted me to go back and look at our iTunes reviews, which we hadn't done in a while. And there's been quite a few really nice ones recently. So I thought we should read about a few of those as a thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, D1dub says, love it. One-stop shop to hear all the recent Star Wars news and releases, as well as an in-depth discussion. I don't have time to read and research all the Star Wars media posted, so I really appreciate getting a distilled version of it on this podcast. Rachel and Kirsty have deep Star Wars knowledge across many media platforms, but also a genuine love for it. They're delightful personalities. <laughs> and authentic discussions make me feel like i'm part of a great conversation with my girlfriends keep up the great work ladies oh it's so lovely it really
0: is it's so nice (laughs) thank you
1: (laughs) yeah i yeah it's really nice to hear that people kind of get so much enjoyment out of the show yeah so um another one smoldering skies rachel and kirsty are my best friends and they don't even know it oh now we do (laughs) (laughs) oh that's so nice um when scavengers horde releases a new episode it's like receiving a text from that one person you've had a platonic crush on for years (laughs) i've been following them since the months leading up to the last jedi and it's been a delightful way to inject star wars into my daily life while staying up to date on the news i want to keep up on from the female perspective that i relate to this podcast is fun insightful and just feels like a brightly indulgent guilty pleasure especially when that spoiler siren goes off (laughs) I'm glad to hear people actually appreciate us covering the spoilers because I know some people really don't want to listen to that stuff. Yes. But we try to be careful about it. And like you say, we have the spoiler siren. So hopefully people are able to navigate that carefully and we don't ruin anything for people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just too too much fun not to go there. And even if this turns out to be nonsense, it's kind of fun to experience it on the way and figure out how we would feel about certain storytelling choices. Mm-hmm. So...
0: yeah. No, absolutely. And yeah, I've actually kind of missed the fact that it's been very, very quiet on the spoiler scene for a while now. I think the last really, really juicy spoilers Mm. we had came out around Celebration, and Mm. Celebration already feels like a lifetime ago. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's been a bit of a wasteland. I'm wondering if there might have been some sort of crackdown.
1: Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. If any of that turned out to be remotely legitimate, (laughs) um, of course it could have been... Total nonsense but um it hasn't felt that empty because we've had a lot of more official stuff coming out lately yeah but no i guess over the next month or so because it sounds like the next official stuff we'll get will be d23 in late august so yeah who knows maybe something will come out but yeah if not we'll have to make do in the meantime exactly
0: yeah recently i feel like i've had really like deep insights into lucasfilm's marketing strategy Because it's very, very clear that they have certain weeks allocated to certain things. So, like, last week, or perhaps the week before, I'm a bit confused, it was non-stop Galaxy's Edge content. Just non-stop. And of course it would be, because the park was opening officially. Um, And then in the week just gone, it was all Jedi Fallen Order, basically. Mm -hmm. You could not move for Jedi Fallen Order news. And also stuff like the Lego game um, which is all exciting but yeah like I can just see like the spreadsheets and stuff in my mind's eye and yeah it's interesting
1: yeah and a lot of that is just kind of based on stuff that's beyond their control like that's when E3 is scheduled so yeah. that's when they have to come out with the video game stuff yeah but it's natural that some weeks are going to be more interesting to you personally than others of course so
0: yeah but that's all somewhat of a diversion for the point, which is that Smolder in Skies left a lovely review. So thank you very much. We really yeah. appreciate you all listening.
1: Thank you, everyone, who takes the time to leave a review. Yeah. Um, positive or negative, it's always interesting to hear people's opinions. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, No, exactly. We like constructive criticism. <laughs> and also, um, like, unrefined praise. So <laughs> we'll take either. <laughs>
1: Illustrate the ego too much.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. There's only so much space in this mind. <laughs> OK, cool. So let's move on to our little impromptu spotlight, which is because of Father's Day on the subject of fathers and Star Wars. Um, so for the most part, we are going to talk about the like relationships in the saga films because daddy issues abound in those films basically, there's like a wealth of material to talk about in terms of people's relationships with their fathers Um, but I know that we also wanted to touch upon Rogue One um, because yeah that is somewhat unique and that is the only Star Wars film to really with any depth explore the relationship between a female character and their father and it does that through Jin and Galen um, yeah, Kirsty, would you like to like, start off by explaining that dynamic between Jinn and Galen?
1: Yeah, well, as you say, it is unique in the movies, because other than Jin, I think the only significant relationship we have between father and daughter, and this isn't even in the movies, is Leia and Bale, which of course largely takes place in Leia, Princess of Alderaan. Um, although we did get a nod to it from the Jimmy Smiths cameo in Rogue One, um, which is really lovely. Um, and I was just re-watching it this morning that scene where Jin watches Galen's like stardust hologram um, which I always found to be one of my favorite parts of that movie it's incredibly moving yeah. um, mostly due to Felicity's wonderful acting yeah she responds emotionally to his reveals because his side of it while emotional in terms of you know, him saying why he did these things because he loved Jin and her mother so much and he was so devastated by being cut away from them yeah. and so worried about what would happen to Jin. Um, you know, he's delivering this hologram and he's talking to her, but he's not quite sure if it's going to be her who actually gets it. So it's, it's more about Jin's reaction and what it means for her journey at that point. Yeah. Um, but I think it's done really well because the scene is being cut with the Death Star aiming towards Jeddah, which is where Jin obviously is at that time. And it's as Galen is emphasizing that he doesn't know where she is. And it's like she's right there, and this weapon that you help create is about to attack that, and she's gonna have to escape. And of course, Saw is about to die as a result of that. Yeah. Um and it just really struck me because like this is Jin basically throughout this story she's living through galen's mistakes and sins even as he tries to make things right and ultimately his redemption plays out as a result of Jin's bravery which i think is really powerful um and i don't know i just found this relationship to be i know this is almost heresy as a star wars fan but we talk about joseph campbell a lot but um he is incredibly heteronormative and gender essentialist and pretty sexist in the way he discusses myth right yep and it's very prescriptive in terms of how well this is the way father and son stories go and this is the way mother and daughter relationships go and this is what mother and son mean and i just found it very
0: refreshing that we got this between Jin and galen yeah um Exactly, because fathers and daughters have stories as well as fathers and sons. It's not the exclusive preserve of male characters. See, I think it's very important to show that sort of relationship. Um, And yeah, it's very tragic, especially in terms of how they're reunited in person, because just as she sees him again, he's killed. And obviously they do get to say goodbye to each other, but is that ultimate like tragedy and dramatic irony of longing for this person your entire life and like being like fixated with this idea of the separation from them and ha- being haunted by the question of why that happened, and then just as about just as you're about to get that reunion and that fulfillment, then it's all robbed from you again, and that's obviously like a huge motivating factor in Jin's arc in that she needs to redeem her father after his death and like see through the f- floor in the Death Star to make things right basically. Um, But yeah just in the feels. It's definitely the emotional heart I think of Rogue One and it's the aspect of it that perhaps played the best for me.
1: Yeah and I think that's what's really great about it coming full circle at the end where there's the whole interaction between jinn and cassian just before they die on the beach on scarif that you know your father would have been proud yeah that is in a way even after his death jinn finding her way and completing that mission for him and also making peace um so to come back to joseph campbell that is her atonement with the father yeah um you know she she dies there in cassian's embrace and to look at it from like that classic Essentialist Cambellian sense, which I know some people, including myself, to be honest, have some issues
0: with. Yeah, I do too. Uh,
1: you could, yeah, you can look at it in the way of like, and I, I know it's not like explicitly romantic between Jin and Cassian, but there are little hints that they've developed feelings towards each other. But of course, it's tragically cut short. And I like to look at that in terms of symbolizing her mythological transition to adulthood. Yeah, um that she's, you know, found a sense of belonging and feeling with this other man who is not her father. Yes. So in a very, you know, classic sense, that is kind of a transition to adulthood. That um, it's, it's obviously not completely fulfilled because that's the end of their story.
0: Yep. No, it's really well handled. And yeah, like, I still haven't read um, Catalyst, which I really would like to because... I would, I think, I'd appreciate those insights into Jin's early childhood and the background of Galen. So he is such an interesting character, and Mads is such a great actor. But really, you don't get much of him in the movie. It's a relatively minor part, and it's very impactful. But yeah, I want more context. I think it was judged right for the movie, and the character served the purpose he needed to. So it wasn't about Galen; it was about Jin. And Galen appeared as much as he needed to to serve Jin's story, which was the right choice. But, yeah, extra context is always fun.
1: Yeah, and Galen and Cranick's relationship in that story is very interesting, too. I'm convinced that Cranick was, like, madly in love with him, to be honest.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. Does Catalyst sort of double down on that? I think so. <laughs> I go to assume there is controversy in the fandom on that topic, but that is not surprising. Well, no,
1: I don't even know to be honest. I'm not like deep in the Rogue One fandom, or even if there is still a huge Rogue One fandom <laughs> out there in terms of like active, because of course it's a one and done. Although it might be revived by the Cassian series, yeah. Um, but there was a, there's a lot of expressed jealousy, to be honest, between Krennic and Lyra. Oh
0: wow, that is interesting. Okay, cool. So, I think we've covered the main aspects of that father-daughter relationship in Rogue One. Um, So yeah, before we move into the sequel trilogy, um, do we perhaps want to start off with a little Joseph Campbell? Like, with the asterisks indicating that Campbell has interesting insights, but perhaps incomplete ones. (laughs)
1: Well, I think he is perfectly fitting for the original trilogy. Yes. Because in many ways, that is the quintessential father and son mythic relationship. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big reason for Star Wars's ongoing success. It comes down to that, you know, boy on the quest for his father, and then atoning with the father, and taking his place. Like, not... In terms of atoning with him, Luke is what Anakin maybe should have grown to be instead. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, a lot of what Joseph Campbell takes from is obviously like the Freudian Freudian notion that the first enemy is our father, if you're a man. If you're a boy, every enemy is potentially psychologically associated with the father image. Mm. And I think that's very true of Luke and Vader, because Luke has this idealized version of what his father should have been. Yeah. Kind of bolstered by what other people have told him and incomplete stories about who Anakin Skywalker was. Um, and then it turns out he's everything that he stands against.
0: Yep. Exactly. So. Father's revealed as the enemy. <laughs> mm. Yeah. No, um, so interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, another quote from Campbell. The feminine represents, in a way, the inclusive love for progeny. The father is more disciplinarian. He's associated much more with the social order and the social character. This is actually the way it works in society. The mother gives birth to his nature and the father gives birth to his social character. You might say how he is to function. And I, again, I think this relates to Luke's story very strongly because uh, I'm sure I'm not the first to say, Luke feels very much more like Padme mm-hmm. than Anakin in a way. Yeah, um, Not in every way, but I think it's true that he gets that strong sense of compassion and a strong sense of what's right from her. And of course... Beru and Owen too yes but in a mythic sense I don't think that's I don't think that's what George is necessarily going for Mm -hmm. Um, it's like they they provided a safe haven for him before he was ready to go out and go on that quest for his father yes and his father being that imperial figure representative of social order that was corrupt and oppressive Mm -hmm. um yeah I think it's a powerful mirror and Luke has to smash it in a way
0: yeah it's all very wise Um,
1: Yeah, and you think, like, you know, Luke having all that goodness that Padme had, is that what Vader sees in him? And is that what Vader needed to see to remember that and come back to
0: himself? Yeah, no, like, it's such an interesting idea, because Padme, she's not consciously present in the original trilogy. And, of course, Lucas would have known that Luke and Leia had a mother. And I know he had some vague concepts of what sort of character the mother figure was. But I think the prequels are quite well designed to establish certain qualities in Padme that then manifest in her children. And then those qualities, through the children, they speak to the children's father in Anakin. And that's a very critical part of how they reach him.
1: Yeah. And I think this relates a lot to the sequel trilogy as well in terms of how Leia and Han relate to Ben, especially in The Force Awakens. Mm Mm-hmm. Because um, Leia, as he says, the inclusive love for progeny, she just wants her son back, and she still has that faith. But Han has that very unsure. I mean, you see that in their their interaction right before the interrogation scene. Yeah. When they're at the base, and Han knows he has to go, but he feels at that point like Ben is fully lost to the dark. But of course, when he sees him, he eventually takes his chance and shows that ultimate love and sacrifice. And that's almost like a redemption in turn for Han. Yeah. Um, not quite the same, obviously, because Han is not Darth Vader. <laughs> but yeah. I don't know, like you said earlier that you were rereading some quotes from Last Shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, of course, when Han's still a young father. Ben, I think, is just a toddler in, in that book. Yeah, correct. And he's he's having this real crisis of confidence in who he should be and whether he should even be there for Ben. Um. And it it really has this tragic like self fulfilling prophecy feel to it that he's so unsure of himself as a father that that kind of turns into the way things go and and Ben feels unloved as a result of that
0: yeah it feeds into that whole like tragic mythic like aspect of Star Wars with yeah there's the like, as you say it's the awful self fulfilling prophecy thing isn't it. <laughs> Do you have that quote to Hand? I do, yeah. So, Han, like in his in a monologue, he's thinking, and if he was being honest with himself, Ben might be better off without him, at least until he could get it together and learn how to be a father for real, not just some reckless man-child who happened to have a kid, which is incredibly harsh on himself.
1: Yeah, it is. It's really, really sad because... In The Force Awakens, Leia is expressing regret and saying, I should never have sent him away. That's when I lost you both. And it's echoed again in The Last Jedi from Luke's perspective when he says Han was Han about it. Yeah. And, like, what does that mean? Han obviously didn't want Luke um, to take Ben, Mm -hmm. but we're not quite sure why. Did he want Ben to be trained as a Jedi? Did he think that was a mistake for him and he turned out to be right? Yeah. is it a case of people not listening to him because he's not the force sensitive one Mm.
0: it's so interesting like i'm really excited for that period of storytelling which i'm sure will come after the sequel trilogy is wrapped up because they'll then be much more free to tell those stories but yeah i think it'll be fascinating because the family dynamics of star wars are always one of the most like interesting aspects of it so we
1: haven't gone into the original trilogy in more depth at this point, but clearly there's at the end of Luke's hero journey there's the atonement with the father. Mm-hmm. um and I think we're going to get something similar in the rise of Skywalker mm. um, but it's obviously going to be different to an extent because it's Kylo, not Luke who needs the he who needs the atonement in terms of like a redemptive aspect. yeah. So he's going to be making peace with his father, but it's it's because of him reflecting on his actions as opposed to Vader's sins. Um, and we don't know exactly how that's going to play out, but I think it has to come full circle because it's been echoed through The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi at this point. And the way that they've been talking about um, Rey and Kylo's relationship in you know, the Vanity Fair coverage, it's key to their dynamic as well because Rey is still like, you had it all. Yeah. You know? You had this father who loved you, who gave a damn about you, and I didn't, and I just can't understand how you could throw that away. So they had that brief interaction in The Last Jedi in the shirtless scene, <laughs> but I think it has to play out on a more personal level yeah. uh, concerning Kylo and Han. So.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. I, I'm about to say something that might sound a little bit roundabout and counterintuitive, but it does feed into your point. And it's basically that there's this interest in Fred in star wars with the main characters like that is in the main male characters who we see having significant relationships with like father figures in that there's always lots of confusion over who exactly the father is so with anakin like that's super explicit because shmi's like there was no father and <laughs> and there's lots of theories about that, like whether it was the Force or whatever, but it's kind of all immaterial, because the point in the prequels is that with the absence of an actual father, Anakin is largely all about his mother, but where there's that gap in terms of a missing father figure, he basically has a series of surrogates, so he has Qui-Gon very briefly, who like asserts himself as like, a protector and a guardian, but then he's killed. And then Obi-Wan sort of assumes, like, the mentorship role. He becomes his guardian and the master to Anakin's Padawan. But there's almost more brotherly, though there is also a paternal aspect. And then the most overt one for Anakin is Palpatine. And really, with, like, Anakin's story, is a big part of his redemption is realizing like, what an evil corrupting influence Palpatine is on him. And he kind of always knows that from the beginning. He, he's obviously not under any delusions that Palpatine is a good guy, but like he kind of drinks the Kool-Aid and he trusts him and he becomes his creature, essentially, until Luke is able to penetrate what Anakin has become and reach him and make Vader turn, essentially, with his love. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that moment, you see Anakin rejecting this like false father that he's had, and he finds fulfillment like, in the love that his child offers him and that love is absolute and redemptive and like the most powerful thing basically in the original trilogy and then between Luke and Vader you start off with Luke confused over who his father even was because Owen obviously tells him the well-meant lie that he was like the navigator on a spice freighter or something like that which he obviously wasn't and Obi-Wan tells him a partial truth by saying that he was a Jedi and that he fought with Anakin, etc, etc. But then it's not until Empire where Luke discovers that his father is actually Darth Vader and he's still very much alive and very evil. And that's obviously this huge, shocking revelation that shakes Luke to the core and it really disturbs him. Because he's built up this idea in his head over the sort of person that his father was and the fate that met his father. Because he thinks that Vader killed his father. And that's all taken away from him. And that obviously takes him to ground zero. And he needs to build himself up again from that point and assemble a new sense of self. And from that point, he basically has to accept who his father is, what his father has become and still find it within himself to forgive his father and love his father unconditionally, which he does. And that's how he's able to succeed, basically, by moving on from all these expectations and hopes and dreams it had about his father and just having this pure acceptance. And I think what's going to be most interesting in the sequel trilogy is seeing the fulfillment of Ben's relationship with his father, because we know that Ben slash Kylo was very disappointed in Han and that he clearly to some extent falls failed by him and if we're kind of to extrapolate from last shot that's presumably because Han wasn't always around he wasn't always available and that fed into Ben's sense of rejection and even though he loves his father he still struggles with him and he obviously has lots of anger and resentment within him to be able to bring himself to kill him because despite what he says to Ray about not hating him he's obviously drawing upon some darkness within himself and some negative emotions within himself to be able to bring himself to do it in the moment basically and yeah he has all manner of father figures basically because it goes far beyond just having Han he has Luke who's basically like a foster father and then he has Snoke who obviously fulfilled a similar function to Palpatine just with that bit much more flattery going on Um, and Ben's going through this very destructive process of like killing literally all of them or at the very least attempting to kill them he has a real complex with that it's very bad Um, and really what based on precedent what I think we're going to see is that Ben slash Kylo is going to have some sort of like heartrending revelation and realization about his actual father, about Han, and that he's going to be able to come to peace through that and like begin to go some way towards atonement for what he's done through the acceptance that his father did love him. And like, though he might have failed sometimes, he might have struggled he did always try to do right by him as much as was within his power so i think he needs to accept that and realize that to be able to move on no i agree
1: i think that's a clear line throughout the sequel trilogy and as you say it's it's paralleling anakin's story and luke's story um, I mean, even at, right at the beginning of The Force Awakens, when we see him having that exchange and then killing Lor Santeca, mm. we don't know exactly the nature and history of their relationship, but it's clear that Lor Santeca knew of Ben before his fall. Yeah. And he can't handle him pointing out that this is not where you're supposed to be, this is not how your life should have gone. Yeah. And he kills him because that's of course his solution to everything. <laughs> yeah. And it's these, you know, these older men in his life that he ends up killing yeah or t- trying to kill at least he doesn't quite succeed with luke but he gives it his best effort such an anger towards male authoritarian relationships right Yeah. so yeah it does feel very mythic and at this point it's like well who who else is there to for you to kill uh because he's not going to kill ray and she doesn't fit into that archetype for him So it's kind of like, okay, now you have to look inward because you're not gaining happiness from anything that you're doing here. So you you need to look at what's going on for real. Yeah.
0: She's basically run out of father figures to kill at this point. (laughs) (laughs) None of them are left. (laughs) It's like, you've got to try something (laughs) else at this point, boy. (laughs) And yeah, like now I've gone through that long, long spiel without pause. Like it really does film Campbellian to a T in that respect I think there's decidedly extra Campbellian aspects to the sequel trilogy that do not go into this side of it but yeah that idea of like the first enemy is our father like that fits yeah. perfectly perfectly well with what's going on with Kylo
1: yeah of course and a lot of what it's important to remember with campbell that he's he's not the creator of all of this mythology oh, yeah. he's just kind of he's pointing it out so when he talks about the quest for the father he says things like the boy first has to disengage himself from his mother get his energy into himself and then start forth so kind of like leia sending ben away mm-hmm. um that's what the myth of young man go find your father is all about in the odyssey telemachus lives with his bro- his mother. When he's 20 years old, Athena comes and says, go find your father. That is the theme all through the stories. Sometimes it's a mystical father, but sometimes, as here in the Odyssey, and of course in Star Wars, <laughs> it's the physical father. Yeah. Um, the finding of the father has to do with finding your own character and destiny. So it is the discovery of your destiny that is symbolized by the father quest. We have the word in English, atonement, at one with the father. Mm. Yeah. So fully expect that to come to full circle in the rise of skywalker yeah it's gonna be interesting to see how they do it and part of me wonders if that moment between han and ben however it comes to pass could be something that feels quite similar to Jin and galen Mm. to bring it back to the beginning of this discussion
0: yeah like the hologram moment
1: yeah you seeing that younger person kind of breaking down emotionally at all of this this outpouring of why this happened why you might not have understood why i had to do this yeah um i don't know how explicit it will be because obviously it's a different context han at this point is dead um but you know the force works in mysterious ways
0: (laughs) yeah exactly there's only so long that that anger can keep on burning basically it's got to like flame out at some point and yeah it's going to be interesting to see how the rise of skywalker throws water on it basically because <laughs> yeah and,
1: and i feel like it's important to point out that well because ben's having that hero's journey and if we're going again with it from the cambellian sense it's atonement with the father but it doesn't mean that leia is going to be left out of that yeah um because she's his mother and she's been a very important through line throughout the the saga as well and She had faith in him all through The Force Awakens and in The Last Jedi she expressed that doubt but Luke was there to reassure her. Luke of all people. (laughs) So he knows how much Ben has fallen. He's had those interactions with him and he still says no one has ever really gone. Yep. So that means everything really.
0: Precisely. And yeah, there's so much that can be said about this like relationship between like fathers and their children. Um, because it really is one of the central through lines of Star Wars and it's just something that crops up again and again. Like so much more than like the mother relationship to be honest. Um, which is very sad because I do think the passing of Carrie has robbed us of a film that would have had that relationship with the mother. Is a very, very central aspect of it. So I do believe they're still going to do it in the Rise of Skywalker using whatever means they can. But for purely practical reasons, it's obviously going to be to a lesser extent than I think it would have been had Carrie still been around. And yeah, like with that in mind, I do think that this idea of the reconciliation with the Father and that atonement, I think that that is of necessity going to happen become more prominent than it might have been otherwise
1: yeah and i think there's a way for them to do it that's like more symbolic in terms of ben if we're right about the redemptive path <laughs> yes uh, play, playing out in terms of uh, the prodigal son returning to his family in a spiritual sense or or a moral sense as opposed to actually being physically reunited with her
0: yeah Exactly. Realigning himself with her values in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which would be very touching. Um, yeah, do you have any final thoughts on this subject, Kirsty, before we wrap up? As you say, this is a
1: central theme of Star Wars throughout the saga. Even in, you know, we've mentioned Rogue One, but even in Solo, while Han doesn't have a literal father figure, he clearly has the the mother figure of Lady Proxima mm-hmm. and then and then Beckett who ultimately betrays him and kind of sets him on that path for the character that we meet in A New Hope.
0: Exactly it's everywhere basically it's like you can't escape it <laughs> and like even in Master and Apprentice which are both freedom right now Again, it's not about biological fathers, but it's all about people who adopt that role of like mentors and parental figures, because Qui-Gon is basically being a parent to Obi-Wan. And yeah, it's just such an important key aspect of Star Wars. And we could go on forever and ever, basically, because there's no end to the material. Um, But I feel like that's a decent enough little mini spotlight for now. Um, given that we only wrote notes about it like an hour before the show (laughs) so I don't think we did too bad basically well because
1: someone forgot it was Father's Day
0: (laughs) yeah so we have acknowledged Fathers and Star Wars and given you some deep thoughts hashtag on the subject Um, yeah so we hope you enjoyed you can find me at Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr and at Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress where can people find you Kirsty?
1: I'm Bastilla Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter.
0: Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, bye. Bye.